Thanks so much for listening to No Lions Here with me, Big Panda. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to No Lions Here. My name is Big Panda, and I'm a recovering sex addict. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are truly honored to welcome a distinguished expert in the realm of addiction recovery. As a certified professional counselor and a licensed clinical pastoral therapist, he has devoted his career to helping those on the journey of recovery. Our guest stands out with his groundbreaking inner child emotional recovery program, a truly pioneering approach to address the core emotional struggles that fuel addictive behaviors. He is also the esteemed author of Going Deeper, How the Inner Child Impacts Your Sexual Addiction, where he shares profound wisdom toward understanding the intricacies of addiction and the pathway to healing. His compassionate approach, coupled with a deep-seated knowledge, has made him a highly sought-after therapist and speaker. We are honored to have him join us today to share his wealth of insights. Without further ado, our guest, Dr. Eddie Caparucci. Thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to No Lions Here. Well, to you too. Uh, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for inviting me, and I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in the introduction, I, I mentioned this is um, this was the book, Going Deeper. Um, this book was actually introduced to me at Beginning in Institute, and it was my first introduction to inner child work. And I'll tell you what, I was completely mind blown when I read this and it just, the wheels started turning and the dots started connecting. And there was so much in this book that I could relate to. Um, so we're definitely going to be talking about the book, but you know, first off, Dr. Caparucci, what, what got you started and, and what led you into, you know, the field of sex addiction and this kind of work? Well, you know, Alex, that's an interesting question, and it's something that we could spend three or four hours talking about, (laughs) but I'm going to really try to drill it down for you in like less than five minutes. Uh, Basically, it was a God thing. Um, I, I too, have my own struggles in this area. Uh, For many years, a womanizer, from the time I started at 16 till I was almost in my late 30s, never being able to stay in one relationship. Um, Hopefully, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, but what happened was after I went and had my treatment and finally figured out what was going on, uh, I met my current wife, and that was 27 years ago. And uh, she was a very uh, strong Christian. I was a passive one. You know, I went to church. I threw money in the collection pot, and I was done. And I went back out and lived in the world. Mm-hmm. But with her, um, she she really kind of opened my eyes to, you know, to God's love, God's mercy. And I really put all my effort and energy into trying to develop a stronger relationship with him. And I did that. I did it over a two-year period. And then I started working and being in different groups with very godly men. And then one day, you know, God said, hey, you know what? I don't want you in corporate America anymore. I was a uh, advertising and marketing executive in the pharmaceutical world for about 25 years. And he goes, I have something else for you. And, uh, and I didn't like that at all. I was like, no, I didn't. That's not part of the agreement here. I thought I was going to you know, develop a closer relationship with you, but I didn't think you were going to ask 
anything of me. Um, so I fought him for a couple of years, which my wife just had a wonderful time watching <laughs> on the sidelines, laughing the whole way, because she knew what the conclusion was going to be. And, and finally I did. I surrendered. I said, okay, you know what? I, I, I give. Uh, I will. What would, what if you think you want me to do? And he goes, you're going to be a Christian counselor. Now, there's a lot of components to the whole story that make it a lot sure. more interesting than what I just talked about. But uh, with that, I went back to, you know, to college again and graduate school, got my master's in counseling and um, went, did all the state work to become licensed. And I opened up a practice and I thought, OK, I'm going to be a generalist. Right? That's what I'm going to do. Well, a few months later, as I'm doing the work, these guys start coming into my office that are struggling with pornography and sex. Hmm. And I'm like, my God, they look like me, like I was, you know, years ago, yeah. several years ago. So that's what I knew. I said, okay, now I understand. He wants me here so that I can use what I've learned, my insight to help other men who are doing this struggle. And that's where it all began. And that was about... 12 years ago that I've been uh, now working, helping men to, again, deal with problematic sexual behaviors. Wow. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, that's a really, really great and interesting story of, of how you got into it. And it's, you know, it's so funny because, you know, I grew up, I grew up in the church, um, but I remember, you know, I got about 18 and my mom was like, you know, you don't got to go to church anymore. I'm not going to make you. And I was like, yep, I'm out. I'm going to go figure out my way in the world. You know, let's let's go out and have fun. Um, and then getting into recovery, it was like, okay, let me, you know, talking about higher power. And I was like, okay, I'm God. Okay, that's, you know, that's my higher power. And realizing now that in recovery and with a relationship with God, my life has taken a turn. I mean, even just getting into recovery was not something that I thought was ever in the cards for me. The things I'm doing today, I did not think were in the cards for me. And if you would have told me years ago that, hey, this is where you're going to be at 35 years old, I would have laughed and said, nah, that's, that's, that's not me. Like, like you, I thought that, you know, corporate world rising up the ladder, that, that's, that's where I'm meant to be. So it's really, it's really interesting and cool how, you know, when, when we decide to, okay, all right, God, you've got a plan for me. It's, it's really interesting to see where he can take us. Yeah. And, and, and he did. I, I was really surprised by it. I wasn't expecting it at all. I thought I was just going to live out the rest of my days as you just mentioned, go continuing to work up the ladder uh retire and uh but yet still have a strong relationship with god yeah and instead he created a ministry that goes far beyond anything that i ever imagined i mean if you told me you know 12 years ago or 15 years ago when i began the, the whole process yeah well one day you're going to be one of the leaders in the area of sex and porn addiction treatment I would have said, "Oh, you out of your mind." <laughs> <At that point. laughs> but he, but here we are, and uh, and I will tell you, it, I've been so blessed. He, you know, to be able to watch God at work every day, and and he does. He gets all the credit yeah. for the books, for the speaking engagement, for all. He gets all the credit. He's the one who applies the words, the ideas, the concepts. 
I'm just the vessel. Yeah. So, and I'm happy to be it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because you're absolutely right there. Like I, I, I tell people this a lot and it's, you know, I give God the credit, like my higher power, he, he gets the credit and they're like, well, yeah, but you know, you're the one doing the work. You're the one. And it's like, yeah, but without him, I wouldn't be doing this work. He gives me the strength and the willingness um, to continue on, even when I just don't feel like it. And so it's like, no, he, God, God gets the credit. God gets the praise for what I'm doing because he gives me the strength. Right. Right. It was interesting when, when I was doing that fighting with him and I finally, I surrendered and my wife just loved this too. And I said, I go, okay, look, I surrender, but I'm one condition. And she goes, you're bargaining with God. I go, I go yeah, there's been, there's also other people in the Bible who have done this. Okay. I go, I go, I have one condition. I go, you will not make me a good counselor. You will make me a great counselor. And what I mean by that is not so much that I, you know, am, so excellent at what I do, but that you will give me the hunger and the drive to be able to learn, continue to learn and to absorb so that I have the knowledge and the wisdom mm -hmm. to be able to help people along the way. And he has done that. That's one thing he has done that I am just so gr grateful for him to keep his promise to me for that. Yeah. You, you bring up a, you bring up a word there that's, you know, you, you hear a lot in the room surrender. And I know a lot of people, I, myself, I mean, I, I struggle with surrender, you know, realize what, what is surrender? Is it, do I throw my hands up and just not do anything? You know, I think that with the way that my brain works and this addict black and white type of thinking surrender, you know, if I, really break it down sometimes it's i don't want to do anything surrender so when you when you talk about surrendering and, and surrendering you know what is that what did that look like for you in that time period yeah so surrender is a um is it is a word and it's an issue and it's a concept and actually a practice that is somewhat difficult to kind of graft and wrap mm -hmm. our hands around for me what it means is that what I've done is I've allowed the Holy Spirit to work through me, okay? I, I have stopped, or at least I've tried, let me put it that way, I've tried, Alex, to stop leading and stop saying, yeah, I want to run here, or I want to run there, or I want, I want to take on this role, I want to take on this project, and instead discern to say, what is it that God wants me to be doing? What is going to be that's going to provide glory for him in my actions? Now, I will be the first one to admit that although I try to live that lifestyle, I do not do it with perfection. Mm. There are many times somebody reaches out and says, hey, you know what? We want you to be part of this program. We want you to get involved with this project we have. And I'm like, sign me up without really doing the, 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 the due diligence I should to be able to determine is that the right project for me or not, you know? And and I've gotten burnt by that a few times. I've gotten burnt um, where I wound up involved in something that I was like knee deep and I'm like, I don't want to be here. I shouldn't be here. This is not, and I've had to back out. So 
I think I've gotten better at it, but yet I don't know if any of us ever perfected. And I am of the belief that surrender is an ongoing process. It is like forgiving. Mm. Sometimes you have to forgive every day. Every day you have to forgive some, that person who, depending on the pain they had caused, that caught you over the years. I think surrender is the same way in a sense that, you know, I believe I've given it all up. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, no, I didn't. Mm. Here, I got to give you this too. And I'm not sure we ever get to the point where we are completely surrendered with all of it. But again, it's all a process. You know, when, when we talk about spiritual growth, it is not something that we're going to wind up Okay, I hit the end. I'm good. I'm great. Here I am, the righteous one. That's never going to happen. And that's a lesson I learned a long time ago when I was beginning all of this. And I had a couple really good um, older Christian men who said to me, you know what? We'd like to give you some advice. We can see that you're on this sprint. It's not a sprint. Mm. You're not going to get to the finish line, and then it's like, ooh, look, perfection. It's a marathon, and you will never, never be at that place. So I'm enjoying my marathon. <laughs> That's I, you, you, you hit it right on the head right there. Absolutely. As I know, I know for me early on in recovery, I'll be, it'll be three years for me in January when I got into recovery. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, January, 2021 was, was my introduction. It was a bad breakup. I had got discovered, kicked out of the house, you know, basically cut off all contact and, you know, went into treatment and it was like, okay, I got to do this. I, I knew that I needed to get my stuff together. And very early on, it was like, all right, I'm doing this to get her back. Um, you know, again, that sprint that you just talked about, that sprint, I got to get better. I got to get better now and let's go. Yeah. Let me just throw myself into this and just work, 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 work. She did not come back, um, which, you know, took me some time to get over that. Um, and yes, finally realizing that like, yeah, this, I'm never... The the destination there is no destination here. The destination is they're they're lowering me into the ground. That's the destination. But this is a process, and the right. the dream is the process is something that I try to yeah. come back to a lot. Um, so yeah, it's mm -hmm. definitely. But I know earlier on, a lot of people yeah. can get stuck in that sprint mentality of all right, I got to get better right now, and oh, I'm all better. It's about transformation. Mm -hmm. We're we're transforming. We're on the pathway of sanctification, and we're just trying to, every day, remove one of these ugly scales. Yeah. Okay? Yep. And, and, and by the time we're ready for Judgment Day, we will be light years away from being righteous. Mm. Okay? But that's all right. Yeah. As long as we stay on the path of trying to, again, transform, trying to do the right thing become men of integrity yeah yeah absolutely uh which i can say you know in my life today my life looks a whole lot different than it did you know three years ago in active addiction and i'm, I'm really grateful for the program and for, for the gifts that it's given me i mean this right here 
I would not be sitting mm-hmm. here talking to you, Dr. Caparucci, if it wasn't for the program. So very grateful for the program and you know the, the work that you're doing in it. I want to talk a little bit about the book and kind of you know what what your motivation was and, and what, what brought you to look at the inner child model and how it relates to addiction. Well, with me, the inner child model really started to all form with my own recovery. So let me go back. I'll tell the story and again. I'll do it in a very concise manner. Um, when I was five years old, <clears throat> me, my dad died suddenly mm-hmm. of a heart attack. And my mother had a nervous breakdown. And there were four kids. I was the third old, uh, in line. And we all got shipped out individually to relatives. Now, the relatives I got sent to, I didn't know these people. I'd never met them before. Um, and this all happened in one night. My father died. My mother realizes she can't handle any of this. People come over to the house. You know, all the relatives come, and they each grab a kid. Mm. So I'm asleep. I wake up the next day. I'm in a strange house, strange bed. I'm with people I don't know. Nobody's talking to me about what happened. All they're saying is, you have to stay here for a while. Mommy and Daddy are both sick. And I stay there for almost a year. Mm. And my mom trying to recuperate from all of this. And then finally, I go back home. And at that time, my mother had to go off to work. We're talking about the mid-60s, okay? So my mom goes off to work. And I have two older sisters who are watching a six-year-old. And they really don't want to watch a six-year-old. So I spent a lot of time by myself in my room because we lived in a city. You couldn't go out and play. I didn't have friends like that. Um, So fast forward to now I'm about 16 and I start dating. And as I'm dating, I realize, you know what? I don't feel very content dating this one girl. I also want to date her, and I want to date her. And that's what I do. And I continue that, even though I get married, thinking, okay, this is the one, I'm going to settle down. It doesn't happen. And so, therefore, that marriage ended in divorce, got married again, thought, okay, this is it. Didn't happen. That marriage ended in divorce. And at that point, I was finally, you know what, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. There's something wrong with me. Both women wanted to work on the relationship. I said, I can't. I'm sick. I'm a sick individual. And I went and I saw treatment. And... In the treatment I saw with the psychologist, what she diagnosed was that I had an attachment disorder. Mm. I'm an avoidant. And the reason being is because as a young child, being separated from my parents, my attachment broke at that point. It broke off from them. And I was no longer bonding. And my kid at that age, my, my own inner child, came up with the ideas and the thought that the people who love you are unreliable and the people who love you will leave you. Mm. Now, this is all subconscious. I'm not aware of it. Mm -hmm. But as I go out and start dating, it's there. Mm -hmm. So if the woman, uh, the psychologist told me, she goes, you have one foot in and you have one foot out of every relationship. Mm. 
you don't know what it's like to put both feet in because you are scared that someone's going to leave you. Mm. And I said, I started laughing. I was like, nobody's ever left me before. You go, well, your mom left you, your dad left you. I was like, no, my dad died. My mother had a nervous breakdown. She goes, yes, but they left you. Mm. That's the reason. And so I had to redefine in myself what did it mean when they leave. Sometimes people leave not meaning to leave. Yeah. And But as a child, when you're five years old, you don't know the difference. Mm-hmm. And so that, for me, and that was the pathway of my healing. And adding that with, you know, again, meeting my wife and adding Christ into the picture. And that's what really got me to be, you know, more than 27 years sober at this point. However, so that gave me the opening, the doorway to look at, wow, you know what? Maybe it is our unresolved childhood pain point that are still haunting us today. So then as I started doing my work with men and helping them with their problem, uh, problematic sexual behavior, I started to see these different childhood pain points that they were identifying. And at the time, I came up with nine. And today, there are now 12. There are 12 points, most common childhood pain points, such as, you know, the unnoticed child. Mm-hmm. That was me, okay? The um, sexually abused or sexually stimulated, early sexually stimulated child, right? The stressed child. The um, need for control. The unaffirmed. Again, there are 12 of them all together. And it was through this understanding that if men were to be able to go back and look and see what are those pain points that they're not really very aware of, because they're mostly subconscious, many cases repressed more than suppressed, but still, if they could recognize those, that then they what they can do is they can make real changes in their life. Because see, there's a second problem here, Alec. Not only do we have the pain point, the other problem that we have, people who deal with addiction, is they don't know how to sit with emotional discomfort. Mm-hmm. We can't sit with pain. So at a very young age, as a child, dealing with this, the bully down the street, the bad grade that I have coming, uh, maybe a verbally abusive parent, whatever it might be. And there's no one here to show me how to deal with this pain. If I continue to sit with it, I'm either going to become very anxious or I'm going to become very depressed. So a child comes up with one solution, and it's an amazing coping strategy. Amazing for a child Mm -hmm. who doesn't have a lot of worldly experiences and also is more emotionally based in their thinking than cognitively. I won't think about it. Mm. Super great, great, great way to handle a problem. Well, how do you do that? I distract myself. Too much television, too much food, too much sugar, too much, you know, fantasy in my own head. And then I grow up, I take that same coping strategy, and I become a teenager, and I become a young adult, and I become an adult, and all I do is I change out the behavior. And somewhere we stumble across sex, and that is our Mm go-to. And the more we continue to go to it, the more we are bringing all that dopamine 
into our brain, now it starts to become addictive. Mm. And that's the pattern that we have to wind up making. So that to give you a summary of where the inner child model developed and how I then took it in my practice to expand it out. Wow. Yeah, that's wow. It's I just I love I love these conversations for this because it just it gets my mind thinking and turning and I'm like a sponge here. I'm just like soaking this all in. I think I think that <laughs> I I think that this is so cool, you know, that I get this opportunity to sit here and hear, you know, how you just came up with, you know, this inner child model work. Um and there's there's so many of these children which I think I'll, everybody can relate to in this book. Um, I know that myself personally, I just, I kind of wrote some notes here and there's, let's see, the emotional voided child, the stressed child, the early sexually stimulated child, the unnoticed, the unaffirmed. I mean, those are just right off the bat ones that I can relate to 100%, you know? So when, when a guy's, when someone's reading this and they say, okay, Hey man, I can relate to six or five or four of these different child models. I know that it can probably be a little overwhelming, right? Cause they're like, Oh, where, where, where do I start? I don't know where to start. You know, what's, you know, where should one focus when they do have, when they can relate to multiple of the children in there? Yeah. Well, again, the idea of we pick the kids because what the kids do is they represent those pain points that we suffered when we were younger. However, with the model, okay, again, the trauma model, the children aren't really the most important thing. What's most important are the core emotional triggers that activate Mm. each of those kids. So therefore, if you have, let's say, five children that you identify with, what I'm more concerned about is not the kid, I want to know what are those core emotional triggers Mm. that activate your child that you've selected, because that is what's going to drive you at that point where you're going to wind up in a place where you're at risk of acting out. Okay. Yeah. Um, And if you want to give you a quick little example. Yeah, absolutely. How that could play out. Okay. Let's say you have a really, you know, good friend and you guys had a falling out and you know one day you meet on the street and start talking and one of you says hey you know what maybe we should get together and see if we can work this out and you say okay well let's let's do that well let's get together and have lunch so you schedule lunch well the day of lunch comes and all of a sudden you get a phone call hey look something came up i can't make it you know what i'll get back to you hangs up you're sitting there you're holding on to the phone you're like what the heck I mean, I was six seconds. I didn't even, he didn't even give me a chance to say anything. I feel like I got blown off. I feel like I've been dismissed. Okay. So now you're sitting here and your anxiety level, and this is really important. Okay. Anxiety. Mm. Let's do everybody hold on to that thought for a moment. Okay. So your anxiety, which might have been a, maybe a one or two, because I think we always have anxiety, mm-hmm. now becomes like a four. Because <clears throat> you're like, you're you're frustrated. You wanted to go to lunch. You feel like it was kind of rude of what he did. So it's about a four. Your kid goes into his storage unit, your inner child, and he pulls out an event 
that he's telling you, we felt this pain before, and it was awful. Now, you're not aware of what he pulled out, okay? But as he pulls it out, your anxiety level now continues to rise, okay? And as it continues to go, and as our anxiety increases, what also increases? Compulsiveness. Mm -hmm. When compulsiveness increases, what also increases? The risk of making bad decisions. So the event that this kid pulled out this time is the time when you were about 10 years old and you went down to Bobby's house to see if he could come out to play. You knock on his door and Bobby opens the door and, and you see Bobby in there with three of your friends and you're like, what are you guys doing? He goes, I would just hang it out. Why didn't anybody call me? Uh, we didn't think about it. <laughs> like, well, all right, well, can I come in? No, my mom said we can't have anybody else and slammed the door in your face. So now you go home and, and again, you're, you're walking home and you're feeling rejected. You're feeling dismissed. You're, you're wondering, why doesn't anybody ever chase me? Why do I have to chase them? You know, nobody will come and see if I want to go out and play. Well, your inner child thinking that phone call was very similar in nature. Mm. And so, therefore, he's saying, we felt this pain before. It's horrible. Now, you can't sit with pain. Your anxiety is going higher and higher and higher. You're thinking it's just about the phone call. It's not. It's about past emotional events that also happen that are exacerbating your emotions. And as your anxiety continues to grow and rise, now also your compulsiveness starts. And now it's like, okay, your risk of acting out has increased dramatically. Mm. And because I can't sit with the pain, I run. Because that's what we are. We're runners. Yeah. Yeah. You, I think you, you talked a little bit about that. You talk about that in the book. So in, a, in an instant like that, you know, something happens. Because, right, like, and I think that recovery teaches us that any situation that arises that brings up anything with inside of us, it's not actually that situation. It's something that is much deeper that's going on, at least in my experience. So in that, in, in that moment, is it, you know, what is, what is the appropriate thing to do as someone in recovery? Is it, you know, hey, okay, right. I need to rec I was obviously recognize what's going on name what's going on is it and what's what's like what's the next appropriate steps for someone to safely right. navigate well again that? well right when we're in our addiction what happens is there'll be a negative event the child would be activated by the negative event and our anxiety increases because of it and then we run away okay mm -hmm. we go and act out that that's what happens in when we are not, before we go into recovery. In the inner child model, there's three more things. The first thing is, one, I need to slow everything down. I slow everything down. If I feel my anxiety start to increase, to be able to say, okay, what the event that just happened doesn't match up with any of my core emotional triggers. Mm -hmm. And if it does, that means my kid has been activated. 
So now I know my kid's activated. I continue to slow things down. And what I'm going to do now, what we teach people to do, is something they've never done before. They're going to sit with that emotional discomfort. It is what I feel. What do I feel? Let's go back to our example just a moment ago. What do I feel? Well, I feel dismissed. I feel belittled. I feel like, you know, I got blown off. I don't think he wants to be my friend. I don't think he wants to work this thing out. That's what, you know, he's just a coward. Instead of just telling me about it, he's just doing it like that. that, That's what I feel. I feel all of that. Right? Okay, good. We're sitting with it. We're not running away from it. Now we're going to move to the second step where we're going to take what I feel and we're going to move it over to what is real. Mm. And so now what I feel is loaded with childlike emotions, Mm -hmm. loaded with them, Mm -hmm. loaded with false assumptions. I come over here, what is real? Well, what's real? He was rude. He could have gave me a a second just to say something, right? I do feel dismissed. Those Those are both valid. Does he not want to get together? I don't know. Does he really not want to try to work it out? I don't know. I don't have, you know what? I don't have enough information. Alex, I don't have enough information here. So now I go to the last step. And that is make the wise choice. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait. I'm going to give him a couple days. See if he called me. If he called me, say, hey, what's going on? Are you all right? Is everything good? Maybe it was a real emergency. Right? And say, well, do you want to still get together? If he says, yeah, absolutely. Great. We're fine. If he says no, maybe I say to him, do you need more time? Is this too soon for you? Do you need to talk? You know, think about it more. Because if that's what you need, fine. It's good with me. I've slowed everything Mm. down. We're not being compulsive any longer. My anxiety has increased because I have all these what I feel emotions. Again, most of them more driven by my inner child. But once I move over here to what is real, I lose a lot of those. They're gone. Yeah. And now what I'm left with is rational thinking. Mm. And now I can make a healthy choice. Yeah. That's what the model is about. But the whole premise for a lot of it is to slow everything down. People who are addicted, their heads are down and they're running through life. Mm. They are not paying attention to what's going on around them. And that's what I try to get people to do, to start to be more mindful of their surroundings and what's going on with me. How am I doing mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually? Mm. Every day, several times a day, because it changes and it shifts. And when that does, what's going to happen? It's going to drain you. And if you're drained in any of those areas, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, bad things happen. Why? Because the brain is screaming for stimulation. Mm. And so, therefore, that negative event comes or it doesn't even come. The fact that you just train and you want stimulation, you're just running. 
Mm. You're not stopping. Yeah. What what a great reminder too to slow down. I know that I need that reminder for myself in my Me life. Too. Like and I think that a lot of people in recovery can relate to that. Just slowing it down. The benefit from just slowing it down. And I think, no, I don't got time to slow down. I have to just go, go, go. But I also am a distractaholic. Like I I can distract myself. I could teach a master's course on distraction if I really wanted to, you know? And I think I think a lot of addicts could it also, you know, just slowing it down. So I, I really appreciate that perspective. And I think that that's, that's really helpful for people in recovery. It, it is. It is the number one. That's my number one rule. Okay. The way I even say it, my, my clients laugh at me. My peers do too. Slow everything down. And I must say it 50 times a week to people. <clears throat> because if we don't do that, then the anxiety will stay ahead of us. The compulsiveness will stay ahead of us. And the risk of acting out will remain higher. So that has to be the bedrock for what we do. And you're right. For people who have an addictive brain, that is a challenge. Mm -hmm. And that's why things like mindfulness, yoga, those types of things, quiet time, are all critical. But yet, you talk to people about that, and they're like, oh, no, I can't sit still. I, I, that's not. Well, okay, you need to learn. I can't learn. Yes, you can. You can learn. You can learn. You may not be great at it. Okay, I don't expect you to go to Zen. Uh, I don't expect a blank mind. I don't, I'm not looking for that. But just to slow down so that you can allow your rational thinking to catch up with your emotions. Because people who have addiction are driven on raw emotion. Mm. They're not driven with rational thinking. Yeah. Okay, well, you know what? I really have this urge to go and shoot up. But you know what? If I go do that, you know, I'm, I'm first and foremost, all the stuff I'm supposed to be responsible for over the next six hours is not going to happen. There's going to be people who are going to be upset with me. After I'm done, I'm not really going to feel very good. Then I'm going to have to do it again. They're not having that conversation. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. There's no rational thinking going on. It's just that I need it. I need this. Does that not sound like a kid? That does. It's a yeah. kid. I need yep. it. Why do you need it? Because. Just because I need it. Because if, if I don't, I'll, I'll feel sick. So, yeah, you probably will feel sick. Maybe you will. You're going to have withdrawals. But we could do something about that. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. That means I have to sit with pain. I don't want to sit with pain. I'm going to go do this. If with all addictions. Yeah. Whether it's smoking a cigarette, whether it is food, all of it. They're driven by emotional distress emotional discomfort and it doesn't have to be a big thing it could be something very little it's driven by that that we can't handle because we can't sit with the discomfort and so therefore we go and we engage because that's the easier thing to do yeah 
I I often find that the smaller things are much harder to deal with than what what my sponsor likes to call the billboard problems. Right? The, you know why? Why is that? Because we blow them off mm. most of the time. What we do is we'll just take them and we're like, oh, forget it. It's nothing. It's not a big deal. And yet, it is a big mm-hmm. deal. So it's still lingering under the surface. There's anxiousness that's there. That's the other problem with people who have addictive brains. We don't understand how anxious we are. If we stop, you know, the body keeps the score, yep. the book. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. heard of that, right? Yep. I mean, if you think about it, and you really sit and take the time to be quiet and silent, boy, you're going to feel a lot of things in your body that you don't even know are there. And it's all anxiety. It's all. But anyway, go back to your point there that we blow those little things off. Not a big deal, whatever. It is a big deal because in a way, in a sense that it's causing anxiousness. So now let them continue to pile up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pile up. And so therefore you may not go and act out this hour or even today, but you may act out three days from yeah, now. A slow burn. Because it just sat there and it manifested itself. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. And anxiety for me is one, I didn't even realize what anxiety was until about 2018 was my first time where I was like, I remember I was on a ski trip and we were like, we, we weren't getting there quick enough. And I was like, and I I asked a buddy, I said, I'm feeling this certain way. Is that anxiety? And he was like, yeah, it is. And I was like, oh, okay. And from then on, I kind of saw it more and more, but it didn't play. I, I didn't do anything about it, obviously, until I got into recovery and then recovery. It was like, oh my gosh, I am constantly dealing with anxiety and fear and oh my gosh i cannot believe that basically my entire life i have just lived in fear i just feel unsafe and that's why you distract yourself all the time (laughs) because that takes away because if you were to really sit when you were younger Mm -hmm. you would have felt that that's what you felt at a very young age you felt that discomfort and it's like, this isn't good. I don't like this. And nobody's showing me how to do, deal with it. So again, I won't think about it. I'll distract myself. And that's why you could become a professor in distraction. <laughs> because you have all that experience. But that, that again, is, is a driver in our addictive process that has to be eliminated. Yeah. Now, I'm not. I mean, you want to go play Candy Crush a little bit? Fine. I'm not saying you can't have some mindless entertainment. You can do that. But if you're going to be sitting around with the family and you're sitting there playing Candy Crush, which I know people who would do that, okay, and they're still trying to have the conversation. Uh-huh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. about that. That's a problem. Yeah. Because what it is, is what you're running away from is having that deep, intimate conversation. You're up here on a 10,000 foot level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that in today's world with technology, smartphones, I mean, how often do you see that's, that's what I love about going to meetings and, and being in those rooms. And 
I know for a long time I was doing Zoom meetings and, you know, because of COVID. And then I don't know, probably about a year and a half into my recovery, I got away from Zoom meetings and focused on in-person meetings. Because, I mean, how often in today's world do you see people just sitting there talking without some kind of screen in front of them? Yeah. That, and I know that I'm very, I'm very much guilty of it. If I'm having a conversation, I find that I do this with my mother when, when she's talking to me. I will pace around. I'll grab my phone. I'll look at it all while she's talking simply because I don't want to be in that conversation with her because it brings up things that I don't like the feeling of. Right now, we are in a crisis when it comes to sex and porn Mm. addiction. Because of this, we're going to be, there's going to be a tsunami. It is coming. And, And the reason it's going to get worse is two things. One, kids are being exposed at a younger and younger age. We see and we think that we, with the last, it's hard, statistics are all over the board. But most statistics that have been coming out when it comes to exposure are showing around 10 to 12 years mm. old. Okay. That's very yeah. young for the, for the brain to be able to be exposed to that type of material. Especially since the fact that we're not talking about Playboy and Penthouse anymore. We're not talking about a picture of a naked woman. We're talking about hardcore, violent, degrading, humiliating stuff Mm -hmm. that's being done out there. The second reason is the uptake that we're seeing in women who are now watching more and more pornography. Those numbers continue to rise. And in fact, I have next month, the latest book, Going Deeper for Women, will be released. Oh, wow. And that is going to be about women who deal with love and sex addiction. Mm. And and we put that, I I co-wrote that with a couple of colleagues of mine, women who work in that space, and we've identified 10 different little girls who, and the reason why they struggled, their pain point. So this is going to be huge. I, I, I'm 66 years old, okay? I'm getting to the end. We really need the younger people. We need folks like you who, again, what you've done is you've, you've taken your own brokenness and you are now using that to educate people. And I thank you so much. And I thank God for you and your work and what you do, because it is so important because these kids are being left unsupervised. And so therefore they're learning. They're learning about what is sex through porn They're learning about what they think is love through Mm. porn. They're learning about what they think relationship Mm. is through porn. And it's all wrong. Mm. Because the big message that kids are getting is little boys are being taught it's okay to objectify Mm. little girls. And worse yet, little girls are being taught it's okay to be objectified. Mm. That's a horror story. Yeah. A horror mm-hmm. story. 
Because when I was growing up and when you were growing up, but and me later, way later than you, we didn't have all of it. And yet, there are people like me who still wound up in trouble. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, yeah. I didn't have, I, I couldn't imagine growing up today. I mean, I lived a very sheltered, I remember my my first introduction was, it was a crumpled up page out of a porno magazine that I found randomly in the woods in the middle of nowhere and I can still remember the images and the stories on that piece of paper and remember going to try to go back to try to find that growing and, and so I can I just I can't imagine what it's like growing up today in the world that we have and the technology at our fingertips and just yeah it's that's why I said it's gonna it's gonna get worse. And now with with you know AI mm. and what's going on there with that, I mean it is I I my heart breaks not just for the people who the kids who are being subjected to all of it. It also breaks for the counselors and the coaches and everyone else who's gonna be left with this mess mm. to try to do it. Because right now People are struggling to find coaches and counselors to help them, okay? People who really are very knowledgeable and can do this. Uh, we, we need more. We need more. It is a major problem. Yeah, you, you you bring that point up. I'm actually I'm actually taking courses. I've got class tonight to become a certified recovery coach. And oh, excellent! In 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 all of this, you know, with the goal of bringing this into the S community, um, but but from what I'm seeing, is there's really the the advocacy around sex and love and porn addiction, it it it's it's not there, and it's nope. it's motivating and inspiring, but it's also like it's really sad too. To to think that. Wow, this has been going on and around for just as long as all these other addictions, and that there's just like not much advocacy or work being done in the S community. Yeah, and it, it it's inspiring. It, 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 yeah, we're we're seeing some of it. We're seeing more of it start to develop, which is good. But I mean, go back to the problem with women. I mean, the resources that are available for women, I can fit mm, in the palm yeah. of my hand. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and what we're putting together and bringing out is probably the first thing that's been put out new in quite some time. Um, I think what we're also putting out is something that goes much deeper, going, well, going deeper. That's what it is. <laughs> that's what we're, that's what we're yep. trying to do here with all of the stuff we do to get women to understand, you know, why is it that they're struggling? Why does sex have such a stronghold on their life? And I think, again, I believe that when people answer that question, that why question, they're empowered. Yeah. Just like I was. Once I figured out the answer to it, and I realized I have one foot in and one foot out, and it's really, I was really seeking emotional intimacy, but I was seeking it through physical intimacy. Yep. And I just didn't know it. I was oblivious to all of it. But once it was there got sobriety for almost 27 that's years. awesome wow congratulations on that that's that's huge that is huge and a, and a true testament to that recovery works 
recovery recovery really does, does work. It does people, work. People can recover. Right. You just have to put in. You have to put in the effort. Yeah. You have to put in the time. You have to sacrifice. You have to understand that. You know what? Yep. I I really appreciate when a guy says, "Yeah, you know what? I did I did like looking at porn." I'm, I'm glad you admit that. I'm glad you admit it. And you know why? Because it served a purpose. Mm-hmm. It served a purpose. It helped you not deal with the emotional distress that was within you. Okay? And it served at this high level of stimulation. It almost works. It almost works. But then you have to stop. And now everything comes mm-hmm. back. So therefore, it's not a solution. It's not a good solution because it doesn't work. And what it does, it just makes everything else around you toxic, mm-hmm. corroded, ugly. So therefore, let's find a different approach to all of it. And and I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of men uh, with the going deeper model. I mean, it's being used throughout the whole globe, which, again, praise God, yeah. never thought that would be the case, but it is. Um, and I just you know, hope that, you know, try to expose as many people to it as possible, you know, just through your work and other people's work, uh, because it, it's it's needed. Definitely, need. yeah. It, it it really is. I and I think that it is a definitely like a it's a refreshing take on recovery, and it, it really adds another layer of recovery. Um, because I think that you know recovery in so many is is so many different things, and there's there's so much that you can do in recovery. But I think that this I know especially for me that inner child model is something that is really helped, and I I try to talk about it as much as I can because I I, I want other people to know about it. Because it really is important to realize, hey, there is still a child inside of me that is trapped at that young age. And essentially, when I'm, you know, like we've kind of talked about, when I'm in that addictive cycle, that's who's driving the bus. It's not some green goblin running around in my head wanting to burn everything down. It's actually my, it's actually my child who's hurting. And he, he wants to be seen and loved and doesn't know how to express that. So he says, hey, I know what we can do. This feels good. Let's go there. Let's do that. Right. Because right. he's afraid. Yeah. He's afraid. He doesn't know how to deal with the discomfort. Doesn't want to deal with the discomfort. So, I mean, and you're right. I mean, when it, when it comes to recovery, I get people who come in and they got this laundry list of stuff they're doing. <clears throat> and I'm like, you know what? That's really nice that you're doing all of that. But I mean... Let's stay focused. And by staying focused is, one, let's answer the why question. Why does sex have a stronghold on you? Okay, let's answer that. Two, let's let's look at the process of how you can deal with the core emotional triggers. Three, community. Community, community. You need to be in community. Mm Because there's going to be times that kid is going to make his way much further along 
than you want him to. And you're going to need to be able to call somebody, talk to someone so that they can bring you back down. So for me, that right there with recovery, and then later on, uh, we become sober. Then we look at the idea, okay, being sober is not enough. I now need to be more emotionally engaged. That goes through the book that I wrote, Why Men Struggle to Love. Okay, talking about the idea that we are emotionally undeveloped and how do we now strengthen ourselves in those 14 areas that I outlined, I call blind spot. But that should be recovery. Yeah. It could be, it could be simple, but yet very profound and deep because it's all about self reflection. The more I learn about myself, the better man I can become. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. I and it's it's funny because you don't realize, you know, that word simple. You don't realize that some of the stuff in recovery it, it is simple. You know, it's not these crazy I don't easy. Yeah. Not always easy. No, right. Right, exactly. But it's 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 simple. And I can oftentimes forget that, you know. A simple phone call, I'm having a tough day, a simple phone call of just laying out exactly how, what I'm feeling and what's going on. And then at the end of that phone call being like, oh, wow, right. I feel a lot better. Uh, that was really simple. Yeah, that's why you, you also see a lot of um, betrayed partners who don't like the idea of it being simple. They, they think that it should be complex. They think it should be a lot of different stuff. You should always be doing something. <clears throat> that's because they're afraid. Yeah. They're afraid that, you know, if, if, if everything starts to quiet down, that he'll go back to where he was. Um, and, I, and I understand it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I fully understand it. But yet, if a man is doing the work that needs to be done, and he's being consistent with that, it doesn't have to be a pile of books this deep. Okay? It doesn't have to be four meetings every day for the rest of your life. It doesn't, that doesn't have to be the case. There is recovery. I do believe there should be some sort of recovery work that's being happening for the rest of sure. our lives. I do believe that being in a community for the rest of your life is a good thing to do. Okay. Uh, I do believe those things. It may not have to be an SA, SSA. It could be a, you know, men's group that you're in at some point that you're learning more about what does it really mean to, to build upon your integrity. Okay. Those are things, but, but we should never end our quest for self-reflection. We should always be learning about ourselves. I'm still doing it. 27 years later, I learned things about myself. My wife and I had a conversation about it yesterday. They're talking about some things on both our, both parts of us that we need to continue to work on. Because like I said, we're never going to be perfect. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Yeah. I recently came up with a metaphor of like road work. Like my recovery is like road work. There's always some kind of maintenance that needs to be done on the road. Doesn't mean I have to be always be doing shutting down both lanes and doing complete overhauls. Sometimes it's just filling a pothole here, repainting a line here. Um, there's always some kind of work to be done 
And and it's it's exciting when you can finally get to the point in your recovery where you're like, wow, this all has a benefit and I am benefiting and growing and becoming a, a better person. It definitely it's it's exciting when you get to that point because it changes from, oh, I have to do this to I get the opportunity to learn more about myself and, and to improve myself. Absolutely. Right. It's also exciting in a sense that it changes your perception about mm. yourself, right? What, I'm, what was I telling, you know, the women in my life before I went and got help? I'm sick. There's I really, I mean, I really meant, I think I'm emotionally, you know, ill. There's something wrong with me. Um, and yet, then when I found out, it's like, oh, wow, you know what? Yes, I do have a emotional you know, illness, disorder. I have that disorder. It's an attachment disorder. Oh, I do have an addictive brain. Oh, I do have a compulsive disorder. Oh, okay, well, wow, at least I'm not a pervert. Okay, I I could take that label off, and now it's like, okay, I have an addictive brain, I have a compulsive order, uh, disorder, and I have a attachment disorder. I can I can work with all of yeah. those. I can work with them versus you're going to tell me I have some sort of mental disorder, which I'll have perhaps, you know, that I'll never be able to really manage. This I can manage very effectively. And that's what it's about. It's about managing. It's not about curing. Hmm. And I had somebody reach out to me last week and said, I really need to work with you because, you know, I've been listening to what you have to say. And he goes, I really want, you know, I know you can help me. You'll be cured of this. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you've been listening to me. You haven't really heard very much of what I said because I don't think we can be cured. What we can do is manage it, but you can manage it very, very effectively. Absolutely. Definitely. 100%. Yep. I, I totally believe in that, that it's not something that can be cured, but it definitely, like you said, becomes more manageable. Becomes more manageable. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Caparucci, uh-oh. Dr. Caparucci, um, I want to be mindful of your time. I just thank you so much for taking the time to come on to No Lions here and share some of your journey and your perspectives. There's a lot of great reminders in this conversation. And I just thank you so much, man. I, it, it really means a lot to me. I'm really grateful um, that we got to connect today. Where can the people find your books and the work that you're doing? Yeah, all, all my books are available exclusively at Amazon. Uh, they'll find the Going Deeper. They'll find the Going Deeper workbook. They'll find Why Men Go to Love, the Shame Label. The new book um, about for women will be out in December. Uh, there is another new book that got published a couple months ago, and that is about all addiction, not just sex addiction, but it's understanding your inner child and, you know, overcoming your addiction. So we covered through all of that, and I partnered with someone over at the he's the director of the London Center for Addiction. Uh, so very excited about that work also. So yeah, they can find everything they need there on uh, Amazon. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, if they have questions, I always like to help people if I can. Uh, they can reach me at Ed Kappa Ed. C-A-P-P-A at gmail.com. I'm not taking new clients. However, I've trained lots of clinicians on the inner child model. 
And so therefore I could provide referrals for anyone who needs awesome i'll definitely put some links in the description for this episode as far as where we can find your books um as well as your email address um for anybody who has any questions um they they can reach out again dr caparucci thank you so much one for the work that you're doing um you're 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 making an impact one life at a time so thank you so much for the work you're doing and again thank you so much for coming on to no lions here man I, I really appreciate it and hope to have you back on in the future we can talk a little bit more recovery i would love awesome. it i would love it god Thanks, bless you Eddie. alex